Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Embassy City Church. How are you? Do you second service people now? Do we call this morning still? Is this morning still? I don't know. I've been up since it was dark. All right, well, I have missed you. Uh, Most of y'all don't even know I was gone. That's fine, but um, I was gone. with my family for a month or so, and we really have missed you. It's so good to be back in the house today. And I'm especially excited because I get to continue our series on being led. How many people have been enjoying and being blessed by the series? I just want to say real quick before we get right into the word, that I'm so thankful for our worship team, our musicians. Um, Man, the way that they worship... Sarah, Amos, and just all the guys on the band, it it helps me to worship so much when I see people worshiping even on their instruments. I mean, I think we are so blessed, and so I just want to give it up for them one time. They always help us to prepare our hearts to hear the Word. Um, The reason I love teaching the Bible so much is because I love reading the Bible so much. And I think that um, I feel like so privileged when I open the scriptures and I find God there. I feel so overwhelmed and honored. And so for me to be able to um, stand and teach the word is one of the most exciting things to do because I have such a passion for seeing people really understand the gift of God's word and what it means to them. I don't know about you, but I love my Bible so much. There's been times in my life when I had nothing else to hold on to and I was going through so much and I didn't even know where to open up, but just somehow holding it to my heart brought me peace because I have discovered how much power is inside of it. And so my passion is not only to teach the word, but every single time I teach the word is to inspire a passion on the inside of you to go home and read this thing like you never read it before. And I believe that's what one of the things that God wants to do today. Um, I'm a woman, if you haven't noticed, so I like to multitask. So if you don't mind today, I'm going to multitask. I'm going to do a couple of different things. Um, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to take us on a little trip to a place that we have never, ever been before. And we're going to walk amongst the dust of some people we have never met before. And we're going to open up the scriptures and look and read and see um, what God did for them. But I want to multitask because after we have done that, how many of you know this? The Old Testament and the New Testament um, together all show us the picture of God. I think sometimes we love the New Testament so much because it's Jesus like, ta-da, I'm here, right here, in the person. This is me, this is my miracles, this is my words, whatever. And we struggle with the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, it's harder to find him. It's harder to find God in the Old Testament if we're honest, right? But here's what I love about the Old Testament, and I'm saying this because I'm about to talk to you from the Old Testament, um, is that this, is that in the Old Testament, um, I, I don't know if you realize this, but the Holy Spirit was not born in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit always has been. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He has been here since the beginning of time when the earth was without form and void, and it says the Spirit of God hovered above the deep. So the Holy Spirit has always been here. So every time I go to the Old Testament, what I love about it is I have an opportunity to look into the mystery of it and say, okay, I want to understand the story, but then when I'm all done, what I really want to know is where is God? Because in the Old Testament, he's hiding. 
Jesus is there, but he's hiding. And the Holy Spirit is there, but he's hiding because he wants us to look closely and he's dropping clues. He hasn't come yet in his fullness, but he's leaving us like this treasure hunt to follow. And so today I want us to look at this story for its face value, but then I want us to also look and find a shadow. I want us to find the shadow of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I want us to see him and where, where is he? Because the Old Testament is full of what we call types and shadows. It's full of symbolic language, all of which is Jesus just leaving his thumbprint everywhere for those of us who would take enough time to look closely and say, look, Jesus was here. He hasn't come, but he was here. And so today I want to tell us the story and believe that we are going to find God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And here's what is the blessing about this, is if you can learn to look at the Old Testament and find Jesus there and find the Holy Spirit there, you will be better equipped to look at your own life when you go through things and it seems like God is a million miles away. You will be better equipped to also look at your own life and find God's thumbprint even when it seems like he cannot be seen. And so today, I want us to go to the Word. The title of my message is Called to the Stand. Called to the Stand. Holy Spirit, we ask you this today very simply. Would you open our minds to understand the Scriptures the same way you did for your disciples? In Jesus' name, amen. If Tim taught me nothing, it is to pray short. And everybody said amen, right? Amen. <laughs> uh, so today, I'm going to start in a moment in the book of Joshua chapter 2, but um, just so you know, right before Joshua chapter 2 comes Joshua chapter 1. I know I'm brilliant, and I figured that all out by myself. Um, Joshua chapter 1 comes before Joshua chapter 2, and so I, what I want to do is tell you exactly what's happening so that when we break into the scene, we know what we're walking into, okay? So if you've read through the Old Testament, you know there's a lot of stories, the whole book of Exodus, about God taking his people, the children of Israel, and rescuing them out of Egypt, out of slavery, leading them by the hand of Moses for 40 years in the wilderness with nothing but a promise, telling them that there was a land that he has not just taken them from slavery, but he is taking them to something better than they can imagine. They have been waiting for 40 years to enter the promised land. The book of Joshua is like the grand finale. It is finally when we get to see them come in and the whole book is gonna be about the children of Israel finally getting the promise that they have waited for for 40 years. One of the first things that we see happen in Joshua chapter 1, we find this announcement that Moses, who has always led them, is dead. And so now Jesus, or God has anointed Joshua to lead them now. So now the people, they've always followed Moses for 40 years, and now they are going to have to learn to follow Joshua and trust him that God has co-signed him. And so he's going to take us where Moses was on the way to taking us. So right about now, they are literally on the precipice of entering the promised land after all these years. I mean, in just moments, they're finally going to get everything. And so in an entire book that is dedicated to Joshua, the man of God, the Hebrew man of God who has served God faithfully and in the conquest of his children, Israel, God's blessed people, a whole book, the big grand finale is interrupted. And it is suddenly interrupted by a story. So they're going to go in and they're going to take um, the promised land. The first place they're going to take is Canaan. Let me tell you about Canaan real quick, right quick. I know you think America has gone crazy, but America looks, look, makes Canaan 
uh, look like, I don't know what. But Canaan was the most wickedly depraved, insidious place that you can imagine. Canaan was considered, number one, to be the enemy of God and God's people. They were wicked and idolatrous. They, they were devil worshipers. If you lived in Canaan, there was no chance that you had any sort of moral, uh, moral compass, right? Because you were brought up your whole life to believe that evil was normal and evil was regular. So even their religious ceremonies involved things like orgies and bestiality and, and human sacrifice. And I'm sorry if your kids are in the room, you can explain it later. But these are all the things that were going on in Canaan. It was absolutely deplorable in the eyes of God. Now God has given them grace for 40 years, but how many of you know God is slow to anger well, he gets there. And now he's there. He's there. He's done 40 years. I'm not waiting no more. Your time's up. And so what he's saying is I'm going to send Israel in and they are going to kill all y'all. You asked for it. And, and he's going to kill all of them and give their home, their place to his people. And it's going to be miraculous. It's going to be amazing. The first place in Canaan they're going to take is a place called Jericho. Now, what you need to know about this city, it's not a big, huge metropolitan city, but it is going to, it is a fortress city. It is literally built with walls around it. It is built to be attacked. So a military city, it is the strongest city. So this is not the biggest, but it is the hardest place that they're going to have to take. So Joshua, being the intelligent man that he is, he decides that he will secretly send two spies into Canaan, specifically Jericho, to see what's really going on and find out, like, anything I need to know before we get there and take this land. And now this whole book about the conquest of Joshua, God's people, God's man, is interrupted by the story of a wicked adulterous, idolatrous, devil-worshipping Canaanite woman who is also a prostitute in both the Hebrew and the English. It is a prostitute named Rahab. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Y'all ready? Okay. That's in the Bible. I didn't say it. He said it. So we're going to talk about it, okay? So then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yeah, the men came to me. I didn't know where they came from. So at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. You should hurry up and go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But really, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Let's pause, all right? Let's pause. Here we go. So it is just an ordinary day in the life of a prostitute, whatever that looks like, an ordinary day. And a knock comes out the door, knock, knock. She's ready. She opens the door. She ain't want to turn away business. Two guys come in, two of them. She's like, okay. Um, so they come in and very soon she realizes that these are not like her ordinary customers. 
They are here for a totally different purpose and it's not good for her. These two guys are here to spy out where she lives so, she, so they can figure out how to kill her and everybody else. Now she's smart and she figures it out. She realizes who they are, but she also foresees something happening. She realizes that they're more sloppy than they realize and they've already been busted. So um, the king has already realized that they have come in. They didn't sneak in very well. So she's already hidden them before they even come knocking on the door. Cause she's smart. She's like, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. <laughs> like, I know them. I'm good. So she's like, I got this. It's okay. Cool. So she's already hidden them. The king sends men to the door and there's a knock on the door. And now they're like, yo, the king says there's these two guys in here. Send them out. They're going to kill you. They're trying to figure out how to kill us all. You're not safe. Send them out. And I want to give you an example just so you know what she's done here right now. I want you to imagine on any ordinary day at home, your door knocks, your bell rings, you open. Two Russian spies come into your house. You know that you find out that what they want to do is to scope out Dallas, Texas, because they're going to destroy and burn up the whole place and kill everybody. So now they're in your house. Now, another knock comes to your door. It's the CIA. The CIA says, I have come. I have been sent by the president of the United States to tell you that the people in your house are actually Russian spies and they're gonna kill us all, and you need to send them out. And now I want you to imagine that you look in the face of the CIA, who has been sent there on the authority of the President of the United States, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no idea. So now, this woman, I think we need to understand the risk that she has just took. So now, on top of being a godless, Canaanite, devil-worshipping prostitute, she has added treason to her resume. And the risk that she is taking here is this. The only question is, if anybody finds out, if, 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 if this is found out, the only question is, how am I going to die? Because I know they're going to kill me. It's just how ugly is it going to be? So essentially, she has right now just signed her own death warrant. This is the risk that she took. She doesn't just lie, and I love this because she lets us know how smart she is. She is a businesswoman. So she goes like, she doesn't just say they're not here. She literally comes up with this whole entire strategy. Have you ever thought of it? She's like thinking on her feet. She's like, you know what? They were here, they left, and you know, this is exactly where they went. I know where you can find them. You go up three lights, you turn right. You gotta hurry though, or you're not gonna get them. And, and she times it perfectly because she knows that when the sun goes down, the gates shut and nobody can come in and out of the city. So she is buying them time. She gets them out right in time for the gates to shut and they cannot get back in. So here's what I want to know. Why? Why would you do something so crazy? Why would you sign your own death warrant? So I continue reading the scripture to find out why is this girl just so crazy? Verse eight, we pick up. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth 
below. So she sends um, the CIA away and she goes upstairs to the roof where she is hitting them. And before they go to sleep, she kind of says to them, hey boys, before you go to sleep, I wanna tell you a bedtime story. Let me tell you a little story. And she begins to talk and speak as a prophetic witness that as bad as it may look for them, it's not as bad as it seems. She says, here's what you need to know about my people. Yes, we're strong. They're strong, but they're scared. And let me tell you why they're scared. And she starts to tell them a story about themselves, maybe a story that they have forgotten or gotten used to. And she starts to bring up a miracle that happened 40 years ago. And she says, we heard 40 years ago about how you had a God that stepped in and, and made waters disappear and parted. And we heard how you have a God that fights for you. And she starts to tell them, look, for more than 40 years, we have been hearing secondhand stories about your God. And we know if we ever face him, we're done. So I know we look strong, but I want you to know my people are scared. She's looking at them like, come on, boys, maybe... I know you guys are a little nervous. Maybe you have just grown familiar with the stories of your God. Maybe the acts of God have just, you've just become accustomed to it and you've forgotten. But I want you to know, boys, it is not normal to have a God who listens to you when you speak. It is not normal to have a God who fights your battles for you. It is not normal for a God to you to have a God who feeds you when you're hungry and clothes you when you're naked. It's not normal, boys, to have a God who will make your shoes not work out in 40 years and you're walking all over the place. It is not normal. And she comes to tell them, I want to remind you, maybe you've forgotten, but the blessing on your life is not normal. And maybe you've grown used to it and forgotten about it, but we are still standing in awe of your God 40 years later. And they came here as spies to see something, but they never get to see anything. They don't actually get to spy out the land. They don't go back with a report of what they've seen. They only go back with one thing, with a report of what they hear from this godless Canaanite outsider, devil-worshiping prostitute who speaks as a prophetic witness. And it is her witness that gives all of Israel the courage to come back in and take the land. And so she's telling them a story, stirring their faith perhaps. And then she says, now then, please, I got a question. Can, will you swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you? Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Now, can we just pause and say how big of an ask this is, right? Because she is a godless, devil-worshiping, Canaanite prostitute, and, and the enemies of God, and she is not just asking for this holy God to save and spare her, but she's like, what I'm gonna ask you is this, not just protect me, not just save me, but my entire devil-worshiping, <laughs> outsider, Canaanite, unbelieving, dirty, filthy Canaanite family. Would you save us all? And it's not just saving us from death because in order for him to save them, he will have to bypass their DNA and actually make him their people. So she's saying, I know this is a big ask, but would you look past the Canaanite life we've lived and somehow graft us into your people. She has the audacity to ask for something so big based on nothing but 
but a rumor. She says, because here's the deal, I've heard about how big this God is. And I have figured if there's a God for me, he's got to be a God this big because this is the kind of God that I need because it is a God who can part seas of water. This is the only kind of God big enough to part seas of sin in my life. And this is the kind of God I must have. And that God has always been far off and he's always been a rumor until today. And this is the closest I've ever been to him. And this is maybe the closest I'll ever get. So I'm begging you, you are attached to that God. Ask that God if he will bless me. Ask that God if he'll bless me like he blesses you. And she has decided how she wants to die. She's decided, look, I just signed my own death warrant because I refuse to die here like this if there's a chance that I could die to this. Kill my life. Take all the life I've known, but just save my soul. She's just decided to believe that if there is a God big enough to destroy me, he's also big enough to save me. And it is not a negotiation. She does not come based off of her works because she's already done it. It is not her coming and saying like, look, if you will promise, then I'll hide you. She doesn't shut the door in the king's face and be like, hold on a second, I'll be right back. And go upstairs and be like, look, if I could send him away, y'all save me, my family, my cousins, my aunties, my uncles, and everybody else, right? Okay, cool, I'm going back. No, 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 she has already acted because this is not a negotiation. She has already done it. This is a plea and this is a plea based off faith. And so now we're sitting on a rooftop. You got two Jews and a Gentile on a roof with a death warrant and somehow God is working to save them all because God is always doing more than one thing at a time. God is rescuing his people Israel, but he's also rescuing her and he doesn't have to stop one to do the other. So she asks this big thing and I'll read the verses. Essentially, they're like, say less. You're going to say, okay. Verses 14, they go, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell me, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this, when. You notice the faith that has shifted because of her witness, not it, but when the Lord gives us this land, right? So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter the land, when we come back, if you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down, and unless you have brought your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the streets, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. And as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So they give her a promise. And after all these years, she has this promise. And she, they say to her pretty much, this promise though is connected to a place. Because a promise from God is always connected to a place. So they say, I got a promise, but here's what's required of you. You just have to wait in the place. Everyone who wants to receive this promise has to wait in the place. You can't decide where you want to wait. You wait here. And if anything happens to you, Hey, your blood is on our hands, but don't go outside the place. So now she is given a promise without a plan. I'm a woman. I like a plan. 
don't just tell me you're coming back for me. Tell me what day. I want to know what time. I want to know what you're wearing so I can make sure it's you. I only saw you this this one time. I want to know all the details. Tell me right now so I can plan for it. I need to have enough food in this house to last us. You want me to stay in the house? I, there's, there's things I need to know, but she has given absolutely no plan, just a promise that is connected to a place. When are you coming back for me? How will I know it's you? How will I be saved? How, will, how, will I, how do I know that they're not going to find out before you get back and come back and slaughter me in a million pieces? How do I know? You don't know but you have a promise and it's connected to a place. You have to wait and wait, she does. I want you to picture Rahab with her family in her house who she is convinced to come and they're in the house. And she's like, look, they're coming back for us and all we have to do is wait in the house. And they're waiting, nobody comes. Nobody comes. So what's happening while they're waiting this is what happens. The two spies go back over the Jordan. They give her report. They're like, look, this is happening. We can go in. And so now the process is set in motion, but there's some things that are happening on the other side of the Jordan while she's just sitting in there waiting. So for instance, we go back and we see that now they go back with the report and now God is again miraculously parting the Jordan River and a whole nation is crossing over a Jordan on dry land. But while they're crossing and he's parting, she's just waiting in the house, no update given. And then they get to the other side and they're told to go back in and get some stones and bring out into build a memorial that they'll use to teach their children. And so they're building a memorial. And while they're building, she's still just waiting in the house. No updates. And then after they're building, that's not enough. Joshua's like, I feel like God has told me we're all supposed, everybody here is supposed to get circumcised. The whole nation needs to be circumcised. So now they stop and they pause and the whole nation is being circumcised. And while they're cutting, she's still just waiting in the house. No updates, no plan, no nothing. Family getting stir crazy, but she's waiting in the place and she's waiting and she's waiting and then they and they get done getting circumcised and Joshua says now what you have to do is we have to remain in the camp for three days until we are healed and so while they're healing for three days she's just waiting in the house no text message no update no nothing at all she's just waiting in the place and now the pre-incarnate Christ is coming down to the rivers of Jordan he's having a face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus and now with, with Joshua so now pre-incarnate Jesus is talking to Joshua and she's waiting in the house and she can't hear a single thing being said because it's like that when you're waiting on God sometimes he seems silent but while she's waiting God is working and Jesus and Joshua are having a conversation and he's receiving strategy that this is what you're going to do it's unlikely it's crazy but when you get there you're not going to attack you're going to march around the city and then you're going to sleep and the next day you're going to march around the city and you're going to do this for seven days Joshua you and the whole people. And then on the seventh day, you're gonna march around seven times and that walls of that fortress city are literally just gonna crumble and fall down. He's receiving all the strategy from God and she's just waiting in the house. It's at least 10 days before the army even comes back to town. And she hears the sounds of big, a great army coming back. And she thinks here, it's time they've come. And day one, they start marching around the city walls and she's still just waiting in the house. Nobody's coming for 
her, day two. The sound of the army just marching around the city, but no updates, nothing's happening, and she's still just waiting in the place, day three. Her family's about to lose their mind. Everybody's hungry, nobody believes her. Are you sure, Rahab? Are you sure you don't wanna change your mind? It's not too late. Day four, she's just waiting in the house. Day five comes, they still don't come for her. She's waiting in the house. Day six, she's just waiting in the house, no updates, and then day seven, they march around one time, just like they've always done. And then wait, hold up. They're doing something different. They're marching again. And they're marching again. And they're marching again. And now they're marching seven times on day seven. Now it has been at least 16 days waiting on a promise without a plan. And she's just waiting in the house. And it's one thing to have an outburst of faith, but it's another thing to keep your faith when all you have is a promise and not a plan. Because nothing tests faith like a weight. Chapter 6, verse 15 says, On the seventh day, back in the city, now at least 16 days since they left, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on, the day, on that day they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He is now telling them to shout for the Lord's given city. And she's still what? She's still waiting in the house. And he says, the city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord. That means kills. Okay. Only, only Rahab, the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Now he's standing there, an entire nation. Remember everything else? He had secretly sent two spies. The conversation about Rahab had happened between him and two spies. But now Joshua, this is a strange announcement. An entire nation who is about to be told not to leave even an animal alive. And now he's saying, but there will be an exception. And he is announcing to all of Israel that there is going to be exception. Yes, I'm going to save you, but I am also going to save a Canaanite devil-worshiping woman prostitute named Rahab and all those who are with her, she will be the exception to the rule. Yes, yes. Verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into her house and bring her out and all who belong to her in, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid them in Joshua, sent his spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. <laughs> so here she is. She's been waiting in the place, and finally a knock at the door, and God in his mercy sends the same two spies, familiar faces, so she knows that God really has kept his promise, that these men aren't just there to kill her. She opens the door, and they lead her her out of her house, her and all her family. They lead her out of this place. And now she looks and she can see the smoke beginning to rise. And she hears the squeals and the screams of the people who are being burned alive. And she has no idea where she's being led. She just knows that she has been saved from that. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, God has done everything 
single thing that she asked. And boy, did she ask big. And he has done every single thing she asked, but he's not done. Because he is a God who likes to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think or imagine. And he says, if you could ask that, I could bless it more. And so as big as this is, she is not only saved from death, but it says she lives among Israel to this day, which means her and her family are literally replanted and live not even just in Israel, but as Israel, like they never lived in Canaan a day in their life. And, it, and, and she never asked for that. But God is not done because he likes to do exceedingly abundantly above. Not only that, she gets there and she lives among those people. And I'm sure she's thinking, look, I'm just happy to be alive. I'm just happy to be here. You know what I mean? I'm just happy I got saved. I understand that I'm probably not going to have that wedding dress and the kids and everything else because, I mean, these Hebrew Israelite women, I mean, like, they're not going to, who's going to want to marry a, a godless Canaanite prostitute, devil? worshiping woman named Rahab. Oh, but by grace, Rahab, we discover, finds a Hebrew, devout Hebrew man, marries. Oh, but God's not done because she doesn't just find a husband. Her husband is a prince. And by, by grace, the Rahab, the harlot, becomes a princess. And if that is not enough, God is still not done because you open up to chapter, Matthew chapter one, and he said, not only did she find a husband, but she is the great, great, great grandmother of David in the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. Because God wasn't done. Now I want us to go back and I want us to look for a shadow. Where's the shadow? What is the shadow? And I want to start here. Whenever I read the Old Testament, I'm looking for a shadow of Jesus. I'm looking for a thumbprint. I'm looking for a footprint in the sand of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's here, and we're going to find him. In the first place we find him is we know, many of us already know, that Joshua is a type of Christ. Joshua is like a Hebrew name similar to the Greek name Jesus. He represents Jesus. He is a typology of Jesus. And we find the scriptures, interestingly there, said not that the spies spared Rahab, but that Joshua Joshua spared Rahab. And I see a picture of Joshua and being Jesus. Jesus, who is Rahab? Here's, here's what it is. Rahab is the outsider. Rahab is the Gentile. Rahab is us, the people who were not born into the lineage of Abraham, being blessed into the lineage of Egypt. I see Joshua making a strange announcement to a whole nation that I want you to know, yes, Israel, I'm saving you, the Jew. But at the same time, there's going to be an exception because I'm going to save an outsider, a Canaanite, godless, devil-worshipping prostitute named Rahab. And I'm reminded of the announcements of Jesus and throughout the prophetic scriptures where he said, yes, I have come for the Jew first, but I have also come to the Gentile and salvation will be for all who believe. And I see her being planted in Israel as Israel because that's what God does with his people, us Gentiles, us outsiders, is he takes us and he plants us in there as if we were them and he blesses us into what we were not born into. She's a woman. The only possible way to get in is to be circumcised. And I promise you she cannot be circumcised. And the only other way is if she was a married woman and her husband was circumcised. But when she is first brought in, she is an unmarried. So she is the person who stands with absolutely nothing 
physically and natural that she can do to get into the kingdom. It will have to be a supernatural circumcision. God will have to decide to accept the circumcision of the heart. So he took a woman who has a 0% chance of getting into the kingdom and he used her like a scarlet pen, drawing a prophetic picture of the gospel because we are Rahab. We have been blessed into what we were not born into. We have been settled into a place of grace for one reason and one reason alone because like Rahab, we believed the story, we heard about God and we decided he was worth betting the house on. So before you turn your nose up at Rahab, you are Rahab. God did not decide to rescue Rahab when she asked to be rescued. God was not in heaven like, there's a new request that came in. Rahab would like to be rescued when we destroy and burn up everybody else. What do you think? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, because, you know, she's been like, she's like, you know, you saw, she did that, 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 yeah. But then, I mean, she did this with this. God is not up in heaven making a decision when she makes a request. He did not decide to rescue Rahab when she asked to be rescued. He decided to rescue Rahab before she was in her mother's womb. And I promise you this, that 40 years earlier when he was telling Israel, Israel, that Canaan would be there as he already had Rahab in his back pocket. And when he was talking about how there would be a place and a way in for the Gentile to come in and be engrafted into the family of God with the Jews, he already had Rahab in his back pocket because he saw her in a whorehouse, but then he saw her in Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. And I thank God for the shadow that bears witness to me that whatever life I have lived up until this point, that when he knocks on the door, that if I open the door, that it is, he can take me to a place and I cannot get there myself by works. I cannot get into that place of blessing. But no matter what life I've lived, Rahab is a reminder to me and she is a witness that there is always a way in to the kingdom of God because of faith and faith alone. And I see the shadow and I thank God for that shadow, but then I see a bigger shadow because while I'm reading Joshua, I'm seeing the book of Acts chapter one because I see a woman who has been given a promise that help is going to be sent. But if she wants to receive the promise that is being sent, she has to wait in the place. And I see Acts chapter one, which are where they are told, the disciples are told, I know Jerusalem is dangerous right now and it makes you vulnerable, but I'm sending a help. I'm sending the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to receive the help of the Holy Spirit, you have to wait in the place. And just like Rahab, the disciples are given a promise without a plan. And just like Rahab, they are told to just wait in the place and they are given no updates. And she was given no updates for 16 days. They were given no updates for 10 days. They had to just wait in the place where Jesus had said he was sending help. In fact, Jesus tells them, and it's not for you to know the times, the seasons which the Father has ordained. That's none of your business. All you need to know is that when I come, you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit. And you won't always get the answers, but you'll always get the power. And so I see the shadow and then I watch the shadow and I see a bigger shadow. I see a bigger shadow because here is what happens. I want us to go back to Rahab. There's a knock on her door. 
And they come and she says the spies bring her out. And this is the Hebrew. It means to lead out. And I see a picture of the Holy Spirit because her help is being sent to the house. And when he comes like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit always knocks. He never barges in. And like the Holy Spirit, he always leads. He, he is not accosting Rahab. He is not dragging Rahab out the house. He comes to the house and he says, I'm your help and I'm here. And he sticks out his hand. He says, I'm going to lead you. Do you still want to leave this life? Do you want to die here or to this, in this, or do you want to die to this? And like the Holy Spirit, he always makes you make a decision about how you want to die. Nobody made Rahab leave. He sent help. And the help that was sent, just like the Holy Spirit, came in to say, look, do you still want to be saved? Because you can either die in this sin or you can die to this sin. You can go back and die in that house. But if you want to be saved, I'll lead you. And if you want to be saved, you can't stay here, Rahab. You have to come out. And the Holy Spirit, he always leads you away from a life of sin. And the Holy Spirit always makes you make a decision to come out from among them and be ye separate. And any preacher who doesn't want to tell you come out is just leaving you to die in Canaan. And I refuse to be that preacher. So I came today by the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you your help is coming and you have to come out. He leads her out. And like the Holy Spirit, he leads her away. And I can see him like, I know you're scared, baby. I know you're scared. I just come with me. Where are we going? You don't understand. It says he leads her outside the camp. Why is she led outside the camp, even though later she'll be planted inside the camp of Israel? First, he leads her outside if you study because, because she is a Canaanite devil-worshipping <laughs> prostitute. And there will have to be a time of purification. He's brought outside the camp for time of purification like the Holy Spirit leads us into sanctification and he purifies us from the filth of the sin that we have been in and they're not just going to have a time of purification but when she's outside the camp someone will come and, and give her some instruction and, and, and teach her about what it will mean to live in this new place and, and, I, and I can't imagine her sitting there going well I'm offended that you don't like my old life like someone can you imagine I don't think so I see Rahab going okay yeah fine Yep, got it. Uh, just tell me how to live there because you saved me from dying there. Yes. Yes. I know you're scared, but I'm with you. And he leads her outside the camp. And then afterwards, just like us, the Gentile, she will be planted there as them. Why? Why, why is he doing this? Because just like the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit and the help coming to bring out the disciples, they were called, he said, to come so that you will be my witnesses. Yeah. And what she didn't realize is when they came to her door that day, what they were really saying is you've been served. Yes. Because God himself is asking to call you to the stand, I have saved you, Rahab. I have called you out and I'm going to engraft you in, make you like you never lived there. But here is what I'm asking of you. Will you be my witness? Why does he need her as a witness? Because God had a story to tell about a grace that was not cheap, but that was so scandalous that as Tim said, it would get with anyone. He had a story to tell. And so when he needed a witness, he said, I called to the stand, Rahab. 
in case there was a people who wonder if there's a way in for them. I called to the stand Rahab and she testifies that it doesn't matter where you went to bed last night, that if you open the door and you follow, I will lead you into a place. And she's a witness as she lives among Israel and they look at her and go like, this is crazy. And every time that they look at her, she doesn't have to say a word because her life, her being there is the witness that God needed. And he called her to the stand in Joshua. And then he called her to the stand in Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When the shocking name comes up, Rahab, the prostitute as the ancestor of Jesus. And then he wasn't done because God wanted to do more. So he called her to the stand in the book of James when Hebrew men are being given instruction about how to live a life that's really faith. And, and James looks at them and says, oh, you think you have faith because you believe that's cute. Even demons believe. But if you want to know what real faith looks like, I call to the stand, Rahab, because faith, baby, without works is dead. And he calls her to the stand. And this God, this ridiculous, scandalous God had the audacity to call Rahab to the stand in the book of Hebrews. Not that chapter. No way. Not Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, the hall of fame, the men like Moses and Abraham. And, and there's only two women in all of it. And so he said, I call to the stand Mary. No. I call to the stand Elizabeth. No. I call to the stand Sarah. Nope. I call to the stand Esther. Nope. I call to the stand Rahab, the prostitute. In Hebrews 11, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, was spared. She was spared and she was saved. And she was sent help to her house to bring her out for one reason. Not so she could have some big emotional experience, but so she could be a witness. And I can hear some of you today probably thinking the same thing that I assumed she was thinking, which is like, but yeah, you a teacher and you're a preacher and how am I going to be a witness? I can't even talk to my wife. And I can hear her thinking the same thing, me, like, how am I going to be a witness? And God was like, yeah, listen, it's not really going to be about what you say. What I need for you is when I get you to this place, I need you to live there like you belong there. I need you to live in the kingdom like you never lived in Canaan. I need you to come out of Canaan and leave all of Canaan in that house I burn up. All I need you to do is come here to this new place and live here like you burn the house down, like you have nothing to go back to. All I need for you to be a witness is for you to live like your past is dead to you. And that's all today. And so as we close, I wanted to say this. Do you think that it was a coincidence that out of all of the houses that these spies could have gone to, that they accidentally stumbled into the house of Rahab? And I would I'd tell you today that there are no accidents that they came there and they may not have even realized it, but they were sent and they were being led by the Holy Spirit. Because yes, God wanted to save them, but he really wanted 
to save her. And he wanted to save her because he wanted to save you. He had to save her so that you could know that he could save you. And he had to call her back to the stand all over and over and over again so that you could know that, baby, you are the witness that God needs. And today I have come. I am a knock at the door on an ordinary day. And the Holy Spirit, if you open the door, has come to say one thing to you. You've been served. You've been served. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for your presence in this room. And I believe this morning that you have come for some Rahabs in this service. And that I have been sent here today with this message, and not by accident. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, as they hear the knock on the door, that they would open. And I pray as you extend your hand to lead them, they would have the courage to follow you even though they don't know where they are going. Would you send us as your witnesses in this world? Because, Lord, you so love this world, you sent your son. And you so love this world that you would send us as well into this world as your witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we respond as you call us to the stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Urban. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.